0: You'll be energised by lots of practical tips, inspiring you to live a truly satisfying and meaningful life. My guest this week is Barbara Rubel. Barbara is a keynote speaker, best-selling author and coach. She works with women entrepreneurs and leaders to help them build their resilience from a specific lens. Listen in now to get a
1: flavour of Barbara. You can find goodness, you can find light, you can find love in any situation, even the most difficult times.
0: Before my conversation with Barbara, here's the Positivity Lens Activity. You know that I do this each week as a way to strengthen our positivity muscle by inviting you to put into practice some of the great tips and strategies my guests share each episode. The greater your flexibility in thinking, behaviours and emotions, the more choices you have and the more able you are to deal with what shows up in your life. Remember, what you focus on grows. Now last week on positivitystrategist.com slash 27 with Akim Novak, I suggested three beautiful activities for you to focus on following Akim's wonderful episode. The first activity was to be aware of your energy source. It's akin to being in your power, using your strengths and your aliveness. And when you're leading from that source of energy, you experience a presence, a freedom that allows you to connect more deeply with yourself and others. And the second one was to experience the single moments that make up your life. Learn to observe and appreciate every moment. We can learn to truly notice the value of a particular moment. And number three was an invitation to get you to get good at identifying when you're experiencing your flow state. You know, when that activity or conversation or relationship that you're in is so engrossing that you sense that your sense of self and other begins to overlap, and you experience that sense of oneness, that deep love and connection that unites us all. And so, now to this week's show. Barbara Rubell is with me today and I'm honoured to welcome you, Barbara, to Positivity Strategist. Thank you, Robin, for inviting me. <laughs> My absolute pleasure. Now, Barbara is going to be sharing with us her fabulous principle and her work with women entrepreneurs and leaders to help them build their resilience. And what excites me so much about Barbara and her work is that we're actually quite aligned. The objectives and outcomes of what we offer are the same, that is, to facilitate positive change in our lives. Now, Barbara's fabulous principle will transform any notions that we may have about current challenges. And my positivity frame is to discover what has worked for you in the past and to build on and take into the future. But let me provide a little bit of context first. Barbara has a Bachelor of Science in Psychology and a Master's degree in Thanatology which is a study of the field of grief counselling and loss. So from that perspective, Barbara shows how we can come out stronger and triumph over any adversity or loss to become more resilient. Now, Barbara's also a keynote speaker, best-selling author and coach. Barbara, since our meeting and past conversations, I've been so looking forward to this call to learn more about you and your work and specifically your fabulous principles. So are you okay if we jump right in with you giving us an overview of your fabulous
1: principle? I'd love to. Thank you. I focus on self-leadership. So many programs out there focus on leadership, which is really important, but there is a foundation to leadership, which is to motivate yourself through personal influence and self-observation of your strengths in order to influence others. You have to influence yourself and observe your strengths. So, my entire fabulous principle, the eight core competencies, are based on one's strength. So, the framework emphasizes an understanding that struggles, whether death related or non death related, changes transitions. These can be a catalyst for post-traumatic growth. You can grow from the experience. It's also a catalyst for meaning making, that you can find meaning in what happened, even in the most difficult situations. It's also a catalyst for resilience. It can transform the way you think about your challenges. So if we look at the fabulous principle, it's F A B U an acronym. F is for Flexibility. Learn to be less rigid in order to adapt to any work-life challenge. A is for attitude. Develop a state of mind based on positive feelings toward workplace stressors. B is for boundaries. Maintain limits of acceptable workplace behavior. Learn to say no. U is for understanding job satisfaction. If you develop gratification and pleasure from your job, That's what's really important, loving what you do. Next in the fabulous principle is L, and L stands for laughter. Learn to create an atmosphere where you can keep your sense of humor. I value my sense of humor so much. It gets me through the hardest times. Then there's O, which is optimism. Think positively. I'm sure you like that one. Realistically, and anticipate the best possible outcome. U is for being united. And then that's all about uniting people in a shared vision. Get people to believe what you believe, your staff, your coworkers, your supervisors, influences. Unite people in that shared vision of hope. And then last but not least, very important to the fabulous principle is the S, which is self-compassion. You have to gain insight as to why you should extend loving kindness to yourself. You cannot extend loving kindness to others unless you first begin by extending kindness to yourself first. So that's resilience.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. So it would sound like the last one, self-compassion, really is your starting point almost, right? Self-love and self-care.
1: Oh, Robin, absolutely. You have to take care of yourself. So I always say the key to self-compassion is to win over the voices in your own head. Mm -hmm. Not to listen to the no's and the doubters, but put that mindset out there that, you can be kind to yourself and consider your, of yourself. So I start by thinking back on a past life struggles. And I invite people to look at how they were kind to themselves during the most difficult times in their life. And then in what ways can you put your character strengths into practice in order to be self-compassionate today? So I invite people to look at being passionate, being spiritual. Um, Perhaps gratitude, a personally love of learning. I love to learn ways to be self-compassionate and and persistence. I just look at the character strengths that help you maintain your self-compassion. And then I move that to questioning. I invite everyone to look at their self-compassionate nature in the view or the lens of a question. So here's one. When have you showed compassion Mm -hmm. like that, which is empathetic, caring awareness of a person's difficulties, along with a desire to lessen it? So if you focus in on that question about when you showed compassion to someone else, then you can turn it around to self-compassion. Oh, yeah. And what inspires you to be self-compassionate? Because we have to look at the inspiration beneath the surface. Another question can focus on, um, can you focus on what you did that was productive Mm. and helpful rather than negatively appraising your abilities? Or how do you generously extend loving kindness to yourself i love to eat so personally i savor my meal that's how <laughs> i extend loving kindness to me um and then another question could be can you predict what will happen if you're kind and consider it to yourself that invites people to look at the outcome as a positive outcome yeah yeah And it also, self-compassion helps them to deal with stress and burnout. I have a uh, red-hot burnout assessment for leaders on my website, Grief Work Center, that is on the title page under learning resources. And they're more than welcome to go take their own self-assessment. But it's important to self-assess, continually ask questions, and to be kind to yourself.
0: I think this is just wonderful because... You know, in the conversations that we've had and as you're explaining just now, what excites me is that the questions that you're asking are people to think, not to actually hang in there with loss or the grief and replay that movie which can be very de-energising and very upsetting but you're inviting them to think how they actually addressed it. So, you know, the fact that you're focusing on what were the things that they did which are therefore their strengths that they were able to rise above that and then as you say to, um, I mean I would say dream or vision but what they, what's their inspiration and why they want to do that. So that's what I find so powerful when you get people to explore how they've – because they've got it within themselves and I think this comes back to your inner leadership that you're talking about, right? So it really comes from self. But Barbara, just talk to me a little bit about how you came up with these eight core competencies. Can you just expand that a bit because you've you've shared them with us and we will have them on the website because – all of the fabulous links that you have and links to you and your website and your work and a lot of the articles that you've written, we'll have those up on our show notes, positivitystrategist.com slash 28 for your episode. So people will be able to go to your website and find out these things. But
1: if you could just sort of come back and talk about how you came to these eight. Robin, everything I learned about resilience, I learned When my father, who was a retired New York City police officer, used my mother's gun, she too was a retired New York City police officer, one of the first female officers in New York, he took her gun and he went into my childhood bedroom and he shot himself in his head. He killed himself while I was in the hospital awaiting the birth of not one baby, not two babies, but three. I was pregnant with triplets and about to give birth to them, my three sons, when he ended his life. And I realized that those babies were in utero at the time, and I had to remain resilient. I had to survive. I had to remain positive because I wanted my triplets to be born healthy. Mm -hmm. And so these eight principles of Being cognitively flexible, I needed to rethink the way I was thinking about my dad's death, not being even able to attend the funeral or attend any of the rituals of death because I had to remain in the hospital. Maintaining a positive attitude because I wanted my children not to feel the stress and the pain of loss and sorrow I was feeling just maintaining my boundaries of how deep I would allow myself to experience the pain of him shooting himself in his head, not being there for me. I loved my dad. He was such a wonderful, funny, interesting, great dad, and he would not be there for my triplets, and it was so sad, but that's why I had to understand what I was going through, which was grief and bereavement and mourning. And the significance of maintaining a sense of humor, to be able to smile and think about my dad and all the great things we did together, rather than the fact that he was lying in a pool of blood while I was giving birth. I needed to focus on these principles of resilience and being optimistic and and being united, being united with my family, my friends, and and showing myself self-compassion. So although this fabulous principle comes from a place of research, the latest research and and studies done on resilient communities and individuals and organizations, it really stems from my heart and my mind. Mm.
0: So it came from your experience, and I am imagining you overlaid these terms, so these notions, which is your acronym for FABULOUS, like after the event, you know. So, But I guess it's going back over your experiencing and understanding how you dealt with it and rose above it, right? That's exactly right. But what about the primary emotion? Emotions are what drive us and emotions, both negative and and positive, are valuable to us because we're whole human beings. But just talk to me a little bit about the emotional experience,
1: if you could, right now. Thank you. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that because it brings up the palette of grief, um, something that I, I've worked on in my support groups and in my trainings. And what happened to me was several weeks after the birth, I was sitting about 3 a.m. in the kitchen. And I was painting because every two hours I was waking up to feed triplets. So I did not sleep and I was exhausted. And they were only a couple of weeks old and my father was dead only a couple of weeks. And I was drawing a picture of a flower. I'm a watercolor artist. And I put the brush into the water and was painting this beautiful flower of hues of red and green and blue and orange. And then my hand hit the glass and it fell over. And my picture, my beautiful flower became a mess. And I started to cry. And I realized that that's what my grief looked like, a palette of color. It didn't have stages or phases. I didn't feel one thing And then another thing, it was everything, the emotions, the cognitions, the physical manifestations of loss, the spiritual manifestations of loss, the behavioral changes. That was what the palette of grief is. It's all of these feelings and thoughts and behaviors and changes and reactions, just like the picture that was a flower that became a mess of watercolor. Mm -hmm. Wow, you've given me goosebumps twice
0: already. That palette of grief sounds absolutely beautiful in terms of, you know, the symbolism that you're referring to is just, is very beautiful, the fact that it flowed
1: together and it was a mess. If if you'd like, Robin, I could offer that to um, your listeners on your website. We can do a link to it so they could do the palette of grief in their own life. It's a creative process. It takes less than half hour to do and I'd be more than happy to put the link for that. Well, (laughs) we'll definitely include it. Thank
0: you so for that generous offer. That's very beautiful. So how long ago... Did
1: you have triplets? How old are they now? They are 28 years old. And (laughs) then when Alan, Matthew and Michael were three, I thought I had an ulcer, but I went to the doctor and he said, nope, you are pregnant again. So when they were three, I got pregnant and have Brian, who's 20, now 24 years old. So I have four sons. Mm hmm. Yes. Um, how fabulous.
0: Yeah. <laughs> fabulous. <laughs> yeah, totally fabulous. You use Robin. Yes, I know.
1: Well, this is great. So what was your first job? I got out of college. I worked for Hasbro Toy Company. I was the office manager. I worked with Stephen Hassenfeld. And then I got pregnant with the triplets, Mm -hmm. and had to stop working and be a full-time mom. Because when you have three babies, there's not much you can do but laundry and food. That's basically (laughs) was my life. But what happened was that I realized that I was grieving. I was grieving my father's death, and I needed to learn more. I needed to gain education. And so I went back to school. And I got a degree in thanatology, a master's degree in death and dying. And from that, it propelled me to write books. I wrote the book, But I Didn't Say Goodbye, and Death, Dying, and Bereavement, Providing Compassion During a Time of Need, and Thin Threads. And I, I wrote books and articles and started speaking and went on the radio and did keynotes. And it just propelled to this life of supporting those who are grieving and educating those in the trenches who support those who are in pain and suffering. I worked as a pastoral bereavement counselor for hospice. I was a teacher at Brooklyn college teaching master's level. You know, Robin, I taught a master's level course at Brooklyn college crisis intervention on on the week of September 11th. That's when the class started. Can you imagine teaching crisis intervention during the worst crisis of all time. So my father's death propelled me into this world of thanatology, whether I was facilitating a suicide survivor support group, holding the hand of a terminally ill patient, keynoting, or basically sitting at the bedside of a terminally ill patient, helping them move to the other side. My life's work became helping, counseling, loving, because my father shot himself
0: mm, yeah and so it really is a model for how you take this loss and grief and turn it into something that to make it work for you as painful as it is so how did you move then forward into inner leadership and working with women entrepreneurs and leaders taking these principles taking this theory based from you know from the studies that you did tell me a little bit about that I'm interested
1: in your transition. Yes, it was about 10 years ago, I was speaking on. I'm I'm a consultant with the Department of Justice Office for Victims of Crime. And so I was speaking to a group of professionals on how to help homicide victims. During that week, I was doing a keynote on helping suicide survivors. And then I was running all these groups talking to professionals about how they can help those who are grieving. But what kept coming up? What the the un, the, the thread that was underneath the fabric was that they were burned out, they were stressed out, they felt compassion fatigue, they experienced vicarious trauma, they could not hear one more story. And so I realized that I had to refocus my work. I could no longer focus on those who are grieving. Instead, I needed to focus in on those who are providing that support to keep them healthy, to keep them happy, So they can continue doing the work that they love or the work that they used to love. Mm -hmm. So my entire frame of reference moved from death and dying to let's create a space where we can deal with our stress, where we could be energized by our stress, where we won't burn out, where we have the tools and strategies to deal with our compassion fatigue. And that's what I moved into. And that is my keynote. That's my work to keep you healthy so you can do the work that you love.
0: That's great. So it's a whole reframe.
1: That's what you're working with. Yes, but you know, in, in reframing, that moves perfectly to why I chose F as flexibility, because you have to Look at those character strengths in order to to be flexible, you know, to be curious, to be open-minded, to be reflective, to be intelligent, and ask yourself questions so you can be flexible. I had to be flexible to move from a bereavement counselor to a keynote speaker on stress. So you have to ask questions. So I could ask, how do you... Check in and self observe your strengths or how you handle stress and burnout and compassion fatigue. What's a positive change that could occur if you move away from self limiting thought p- patterns? Um, can being patient, non judgmental listener help me to solve problems? You know, self reflect to explore any inner conflict and ask what if. If you talk to yourself, use mental in- imagery, change your thinking. So I asked myself, you know, what if I no longer um, sat by the bedside of a terminally ill patient? What if I got on stage and keynoted to a thousand people? What if I moved away from support groups to for, for suicide survivors or those with Alzheimer's, et cetera? And what if I changed that to groups of professionals who needed to build their resilience And so I basically mirror it myself. I I needed to be flexible in order to even change my point of view on what I needed to do in my life. Yeah, two things come up for me when you say that. So
0: um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. Yes, I am. Ah, Well, you know, one of the presupposition is that the person or the system with the most flexibility of behavior will control the system. Meaning that it gives us more choice, right? So what I'm hearing what you're saying is that, you know, with flexibility, you are far more aware of all the options that are available to you, and you are likely to be more experimental, more trying,
1: and you'll, you'll increase your choice. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. But you can't even get to the behavior unless you start with the thought because the thought moves you to feeling about it and the feeling moves you to the behavior. So mm. yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And the other thing that came up too, Barbara, and I love your your um, perspective on this, of course, and that is, you know, you, you talk about strengths and character strengths. How do you help people
1: identify what their strengths are? I use the words. So let's say for argument, uh, we're talking about flexibility. So I'll use the word curiosity. So I'll say, I'm curious, how did you respond when she said that? Or I'll use the word um, open-minded. Again, when talking about uh, reflexible, I'll say, um, can you be open-minded about what happened and look at it differently? So I use the words to invite them because if you say to someone, what are your character strengths? They they look at you like you have five eyes. They don't even know what a character strength is for the most part. I agree. Yeah. I, I, I use the language. You know, so if someone's talking to me when, and I, I want to move them through this flexible nature, I'll say, you know, as we reflect on what you say, you know, that type of thing, I use the words and then invite them to mirror those words. Mm. And I
0: think you're also inviting them to tell their own story, right? So you're getting them to make those
1: associations. It is so important. Positive inquiry and personal narratives go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So I, I look at five basic questions. Because difficult life events can motivate you to ask questions about your strengths that get you through challenging times. So, five basic questions that I always ask. Number one, what positive theme do you continue to see woven through your story? Beautiful. Number number two, what's the constructive takeaway in how you talk to yourself about your story? Number three, how does finding meaning in your narrative provide purpose in your life? Number four, what strengths kept you positive during the struggle? And last but not least, number five, how can you apply what you learned during those difficulties and challenges to confident self leadership?
0: That's beautiful. Thank you. And in what context are you using this? Is it a
1: one-on-one? Is it training is it coaching all three because even when I do my keynotes they have materials in front of them where even if there's 500 people in the room they're breaking up into groups right and working on this and talking you know I, I I'm a teacher I'm an educator so I I, I can get in front of the room and, and give you didactic research and all that but it's the experiential part of any training workshop or or um, group where the work really gets done. So I invite those in attendance to work on these and share their story because when they talk about their story, and many people sometimes never share their story, like that could be a first for them. Mm-hmm. That's where true wisdom is gained.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you, and that's you know that's the appreciative inquiry process that I love. It's a very gentle way of inviting people to begin to share things that they could be you know fearful or they've never shared it with anybody before you know it's i'm sure you've had people break down right because they're beginning
1: to share something that's very intimate and very personal Without question. That's mm. why as a bereavement counselor, uh, it, it works out perfect for me because I know how to contain mm. their loss. Mm-hmm. I know how to hold it and move it to a place where they could find meaning in it. They can build their resilience from it and, and experience that post-traumatic growth from it, because if we are able to share our story it's an amazing thing because then we could talk about the person or the thing that happened and mention their name or mention what it is that we could not say before. And that's really important, but it's also equally important to find someone who can listen to you and and see, are, you know, are you a good listener? Many people aren't even a good listener. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, a self assessment on the first page of my website under learning resources that it's a self assessment on effective listening. Great, you know, it's maybe ten or fifteen questions to see, am I a good listener? Can I contain someone's story if they share a loss with me or a change or a transition? Because you have to be very careful with whom you share your story. Absolutely.
0: And as a listener, you're being honoured because you're actually becoming a witness to somebody else's personal history. (laughs) And it takes a lot to be able to honour that. I totally agree with you. I think it is about the listening as well as the telling of the story. That's so beautiful. So I just wanted to add something here about the strength. So I think I may have mentioned this to you in a previous conversation um, one of the ways that I invite people to find out their strength is to do the VIA survey, which stands for Values in Action. And I'm going to give a plug. It's a free um, assessment that people can go to the VIA ME, V-I-A-M-E, VIA ME.org website. And they can do this instrument and they'll find out all the kinds of strengths that they have. And it also gives you the language that you can start to talk about and then apply it to any kind of part of your life or challenges that you may have or aspirations that you may have. So I think that might be helpful
1: too, to add to this conversation. Yes, I did go on to that site. I, I, At this point, I can't recall what the character strengths were, but I do recall they were similar to what I have under attitude, which was helpful. I am am a very helpful person. Mm -hmm. I want to be of assistance to others who are gaining knowledge and be there for them to acquire what they need to move forward in their life.
0: Yeah. So when you have the language around these things, you can begin to integrate it into your life. So I think it helps to know what they are. Oh, absolutely. Because it's all around language, right? As you say, when you work with people, you are asking them, particularly with flexibility, is the example that we can stick with. When have you been flexible? How have you shown that? And your open-mindedness. So it's really those prompts. We need to have the language to be able to start describing how we are in the world you know, what we value about the world, how we behave with the world how we interact with people. So language is really the key to all of this. Well,
1: I, I like what you're saying about language and prompts. So if we move to attitude, I would say, in what ways can you put your character strengths in order to have a positive attitude into practice? Right. So what would mm. we say? What, what language would we use? What prompts? Helpful, uh, wisdom, being eager, These are all parts of of your attitude. You need to be eager and have and be wise about your attitude. So what questions could we ask? I would say, are you self-aware of your are are you self-aware of your values, perhaps? Mm -hmm. Um, are you self-aware of your needs, your habits? especially your closely held beliefs, your values. Um, I, I also like making predictions. So I would ask, can you predict how others will respond if you continually maintained a positive attitude? Or are you aware of how your feelings, your thoughts and actions are based on your attitude, which can be evaluated in a positive, negative or mixed way? Way attitude isn't just negative. Attitude could be very positive, mm. and so I would use the character strengths of perhaps being helpful, being wise, and being eager to formulate an attitude and work on having a positive attitude.
0: Yeah, Barbara. In my work, one of the things that I talk about is the negativity bias that we have. Talk. Can you talk to me a little bit about people's propensity toward to go towards the negative?
1: They do go towards the negative. Well, that fight or flight response m- moves to um the prehistoric times. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's just it's in animals. We see it in dogs. They run, they or they they just bury their or or uh, like the ostrich that buries his head in the sand. Mm-hmm. You know, so we can look at the negative or we can be energized by the stress. Stress isn't necessarily this fight or flight response doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It could generate you to greatness. And that's where the optimism comes in. So look at being energized by stress. Look at the feeling that happens in your body, mind, and spirit and move it forward. So if we're looking at character strengths that take this negative stress and move it to a positive, then we'd focus on being optimistic. We'll be able to get through this. We're going to be able to survive this. So what character strengths do we need to deal with our fight or flight? Be realistic, persevere, be hopeful, and if you could take all these and move your stress forward and be energized by it, then you will not be negative or pessimistic, but you will be optimistic. Mm. So if you if you wanted to ask questions for optimism. I would ask, why should I think realistically, sensibly? Why should I have expectation and anticipate the best outcome? Well, I ask you, why not? Or I would ask, can you picture yourself continually remaining optimistic in spite of the stress? So I invite people to look and and envision themselves dealing with this fight or flight, but in a positive way, Mm. standing up to it. Yeah. So when you say realistic, what do you mean? Well, I was a hospice pastoral bereavement counselor and working with terminally ill patients, I would hope for the best. Now, people would say, "Well, they're dying, Barbara. They're lying in bed, they're taking their last breath. How can you think realistically positively, anticipate the best possible outcome?" But Yes, that is exactly where I go to because I'm sitting there holding their hand. I call their family in to be present at the moment that they take their last breath. I perhaps ordered a harpist in the room so they'll be listening to music while they cross over. I pray with them. There is a best possible outcome. You can find goodness. You can find light. You can find love in any situation, even the most difficult times. Mm
0: That's wonderful, yeah, because a lot of people, when they say, oh, you've got to be realistic, it presupposes that that is exclusive of being positive about things. But being realistic is both positive and negative. So I'm glad you brought those lovely examples into the, you know, you painted this picture of something that was far more beautiful to look at. Um, So thanks for that.
1: Yes, I I recently wrote an article on uh, JenningsWire.com about optimism and I, I recommend people go <laughs> read that because it's, it's pretty funny. My mother and I, we went to a wedding several years ago, and we bought the same exact shoes. We were the same shoe size. And she took her shoes home and I took my shoes home from the shoe store. And we met a week later at the wedding, And I said, Mom, how do you like your shoes? And she said, my left foot is killing me. And I said, my right foot's killing me. Well, we (laughs) both realized that she had both lefts, I had both rights. (laughs) So under the table, we switched our shoes and just had a really good laugh. So That's so so good. Yeah, it's good to be optimistic. (laughs) Absolutely. not her.
0: I would love you to talk about boundaries, which is the B in fabulous, number
1: three. Oh, boundaries are so important. I like to say sharp edges, uneven curbs, and bumpy borders are limits that help us maintain control. So thinking back on our life struggle, I always invite people to give examples of how they kept boundaries in place and how they protected themselves. But moving forward... I would, again, like we just talked about, invite them to put their character strengths into practice to maintain their boundaries. So which ones would I look at? Self-control, absolutely self-control, being careful, being cautious, as well as integrity. These are the ones that I personally, uh, my character strengths that help me Mm. maintain my boundaries. So as we, we said before, with because I like to use questions rather than tell people what to do, I always invite them in a question to, Mm
0: -hmm. um,
1: I invite them in to listen to what I have to say and put it in a question form so they could mush it around in their head. So the question I would ask is first, where did you learn to keep your boundaries? And then I perhaps would say, what practical things do you do to improve your ability to maintain your boundaries? Or if I'm working with a, a workplace group, I'd, I'd ask, what is your approach to ethics, which is you know rules and laws in the workplace? Um, what is the best thing that can happen if you maintain workplace boundaries? But I, I love this question, temperance. It's about temperance. If temperance helps us to maintain self-control and it protects us from excess. How can you remain careful when making choices so you don't wind up with regret? Boundaries keep you safe, so that's why I, I made the, the, this fabulous principle be with boundaries because I think if you if you don't have boundaries in place, a lot can go wrong. Oh yeah,
0: and I'm getting a better sense of the descriptions, the adjectives that you have for each of these these notions you know that make up the acronym fabulous and so now i'm getting a sense of when you introduce these terms to each of the competencies the eight core competencies and you ask the questions you're really helping to frame it up for people to identify it for themselves. So it does become their story and they do find how it resonates for them and what they personally can do about it to strengthen their own capacity to be able to live into these values, really. That's exactly right. Yes. Yeah. And I'm getting it. Yay. Yay! I'm
1: clapping. I don't know if you could see me, but I'm clapping.
0: <laughs> oh, good. So laughter,
1: right? That's another one. <laughs> oh, laughter is so important. It's my favorite. So I would start if I'm working with someone in a group or individually or even a keynote. I would ask them to recall how they were able to maintain their sense of humor during their life struggle. So I invite them to think back on that. And then we move forward to the present. And I would ask in what ways can you put character strengths into practice in order to laugh and maintain a sense of humor? So here the Robin, the character strengths would be imaginative, mm-hmm. um, energetic, mm-hmm. playful. I'm very playful, mm-hmm. cheerful. I mean, there's there's tons. So I always like to look at the person's type of humor because we each have a different thing that tickles our funny bone. So some people like stand-up, jokes, stories. Um, others like slapstick, physical comedy. Um, then there are some who like sarcastic humor. Uh, I, I do grand rounds for physicians and very often they, they always raise their hand for the sarcastic, negative humor, satire. They love that. hmm I find that um, the first responders and my nurses uh, love gallows humor. You know, the grim misfortune death. They they appreciate gallows humor, <laughs> um, observational humor, things that are funny and not planned. That happens to me a lot. My keynotes are very funny, and I just I think that's the kind of laughter that gets to me the most. And um, self-deprecating humor. You know, where you poke fun at yourself. Mm-hmm. So I think I would ask, does humor improve your well-being? Does humor boost your problem-solving skills? Does humor increase workplace cohesion? You know, laughter, humor, it has to be a part of your life. Otherwise, how do you deal with it? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great stress
0: reliever. And also, you know, we, we have to get over taking ourselves so seriously from time to time too. <laughs> That's so true. It's, I agree 100%. (laughs) So this is wonderful. Is there one of these particular, do you call them notions or values? I mean, there are eight core competencies, I think you say, right?
1: Yeah, everyone calls them something different.
0: Okay. So Uh, what do you
1: call them? I call them core competencies, Mm -hmm. but I think values, I think they are values, Mm -hmm. belief systems, it really doesn't matter what you call them as long as you focus in on them and make them a part of your life. Yeah. Is there one that seems to resonate with the majority of people? Yes. Beaten United. Ah, It is so important to, it could be a person, it could be a group, it could be a, a pet, but being with someone or something is very important. So, so that's when, like connection, right? Absolutely, yeah. it's all about connection. Yeah. But connection and but love. Fabulous. Right? Um, there's no C. Yes, I just woke so up to that. <laughs> that's why it's united. But you are a hundred percent right. It, otherwise, it would be fab key see, lust. and that just doesn't make sense so yes United so if we're talking about United again I would ask them to think back on one of their struggles and name a particular connection and his or her impact mm-hmm. on their surviving what happened and if they're putting their character strengths into practice in order to be connected or united we would look at their being trustworthy humanity you know where they're kind and charitable uh, collaborative, And then again, I would move it to questions. How do you use forward thinking to unite others in a shared vision, your peers, your teams, your groups? How do you show commitment to others and follow through with promises? Is there a value in being open to networking and exchanging ideas with diverse people? It's all about being around those who just lift you up and make you feel good and make you feel smart. And where you can learn from them and grow with them, mm-hmm. so um, and have that sense
0: of belonging, right? So oh. um, I love all the questions; they're just great. Thank where you. Where do you put vulnerability in? Where does that fit? Vulnerability moves
1: into self compassion. Uh huh. Right. Because if you're going to be kind to yourself, then you have to open yourself up. Yes. And in open up your and opening up yourself, you are vulnerable to um, unkindness and looking at yourself in negative ways and working through that to build the place where you are spiritual and you show gratitude and you love who you are. Yeah, and that's
0: where we started. We talked about self-compassion, even though it's the last one here because of the letter of the um, S. Yeah, but it's—I think it starts and stops there (laughs) in a way. Um, You know, it's the holistic thing. You know, I have this positivity lens activity for my listeners so that they have an opportunity to not only just listen to my guests and, you know, the fabulous information that you're sharing with us today, and I say that intentionally, the fabulous information. I would be curious to know if you could come up with, say, three positivity strategies that people might want to use to try out for themselves so they don't just listen, but they actually get out there and try something new what might you
1: suggest? Well, to try something new first, find meaning in your narrative. So to try something new in that would be sharing your story, talking about what happened either in a support group with a close friend, with a coworker, with a counselor or therapist, but actually finding meaning in your narrative by sharing your story. And you have to be brave to do that. Many people are not ready to do that. So find someone who can help you be ready to do that. Mm. I guess the second takeaway would be fabulous. Build your resilience. Uh, Learn how to cope with change and transition. Perhaps um, what we talked about today, I can maybe put that on your website with all the questions and all the things that we discussed so your listeners could actually ask themselves every single question that we explored today. That would be a great way to help them build their resilience and actually do the work that we talked about during this time. And the last takeaway, I like to be energized by stress. So rethink your thinking. Instead of looking at stressful circumstances as a a way to get you down, talk about it in your own head differently. Yes, I'm stressed but this is how I feel, this is how I think, this is how I feel, and this is how I'm going to behave because of it. I'm not going to bang my fists on the desk. I am going to do and whatever it is in a positive way, fill in the blank. That would be my three takeaways.
0: Oh, I think they're amazingly three hugely generous, very big takeaways. So yes, we will have the links to all of these um, suggestions, your articles, as I said earlier, your website and some of the resources that you're willing to share. And that will be on positivitystrategist.com slash PS28. So that's dedicated to Barbara Rubel. And Barbara, I want to thank you so much for spending this time with us today and for all the fantastic, fabulous insights, sharings, knowledge, experience, tips, techniques, and strategies that you've (laughs) shared with us today. It's just been so great.
1: My pleasure. Thank you so much, Robin, for inviting me.
0: You're most welcome. Thank you, Barbara. This week's Positivity Lens activity, which I encourage you to download on the show notes page of this episode, positivitystrategist.com PS28, is to invite you to think about some of the specifics around your personal story of resilience and how you strengthen your own capacities to thrive, especially when challenged. So first activity. As you think about your own stories of grief or joy, how do you make meaning out of them? Share your stories with a trusted friend and notice what comes up for you. What are the words that you're using? What are the usual suspects and tone? What meaning are you making? Number two, identify your own character strengths based on the language you're using when you describe how you deal with situations. You can go to the viame.org website, V I A m.e.org website and take the free survey to help you find the language around your strengths. And number three, when you feel stress or anticipate it coming on, reframe it by thinking and talking about it as an opportunity to learn, to grow or to change. Be energized rather than de-energized. Find a new narrative to deal with stress or adversity. Remember, what you focus on Also, you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and remember, what you focus on grows. So grow towards your best.